We are going to do something different today. Uh, if you noticed, there was no blueprint. Uh, we have been preaching through the book of Acts, and usually uh, I come up here, we just pick the next section of the book of Acts and go through it. But uh, the very beginning uh, of each year, I like to do something a little bit different where um, we concentrate our minds and thoughts and efforts towards the Word of God. And so this morning, um, I, I'm going to preach a sermon on, on that, and then we'll be back in the book of Acts next week. Um, but this is also a different type sermon than next week because it's not just one particular text that we're going to be going through. Instead, there'll be a ton of verses uh, that we'll be looking at, and they will all kind of uh, go with what we're talking about. So um, there's no one place you can turn your, in, in your text right now, although we'll be all over the place. So um, that's what's going on this morning. I know it's a little bit different than normal, uh, but anyway, that's what's going on. <clears throat> so instead of preaching... Uh, a sermon on the doctrine of the word, exclusively like from 2 Timothy 3.16 and following, or uh, from, from Peter or something like that. I want to do a little bit different. So uh, my hope is not to preach a sermon on the doctrine of the word and get you so excited about the doctrine of the word that you say, okay, I'm going to read the Bible, um, although I think that that can work. Instead, I want to preach a sermon about the actual point of reading the Bible. So my goal in, in, in any year that we talk about how you should read the Word is not just so that you would read the Word as an end in of itself so that you say, well, I read the Word because God wants me to read the Word. There's a reason why we read the Word. We read the Word to point us to or take us to being able to commune with Jesus. And so instead of preaching a sermon on the doctrine of the Word, I want to preach a sermon on... Uh, what we can do this year to commune with Jesus. And that the goal of this year for 2017 for all of us would be having uh, long periods of time and um, as often as possible of being able to commune with him. So I want you to love the word. Moreover, I want you to love Jesus also, not just his word. That's the point of the word is to take us to Christ. So I want you to desire to meet with Jesus, be with Jesus. And so that's what we're going to do uh, today. Um, in the, in the Bible, there's this, you may know this story, but it kind of illustrates what I'm talking about uh, in, in a number of ways. So in, in uh, Numbers chapter 21, uh, this, is, this is what's going on. Israel is, is um, struggling with their, with their obedience to the Lord. Anyway, this is what happens. When the, Canaanite, when the Canaanite, the king of Arad, who lived in the Negev, heard that Israel was coming by the way of Atherim, he fought against Israel and took some of them captive. And Israel vowed a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed give this people into my hand, then I will devote their cities to destruction. And the Lord obeyed the voice of Israel and gave over the Canaanites, and they devoted them and their cities to destruction. So the name of the place was called Hormah. From Mount Or, they set out by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the people became impatient on the way and spoke against God and against Moses... And this is kind of the normal for them. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent. So he delivered them, and it took too long for them to find satisfaction in the next place. And so they, they grumble, and that's how it happens. And so, you know, God gets tired of their grumbling, and this is what happened. Verse 6, the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and the serpents bit the people so that many of the people in Israel died. Um, that's a bad day, without any question, right? And this is what happened. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, and we have spoken against the Lord and against you. I guess being bit by snakes wakes you up to that reality. Um, and so it says this, um, Pray to the Lord that he'll take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So if you're bitten and you look up at it, as long as it's there, then you'll live. If you don't do that, if, you don't, if it's not held up and you don't look at it, then you'll die. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if the serpent bit anyone, then they would look at the bronze serpent and they would live. Now, that's kind of a random story, right, from, from the Old Testament. But John... Um, interprets this text for us in such a way to help us see and understand and in the same way uh, what's going on. So in, in Numbers 21, the serpent had to be lifted up so that those who were bit by the curse of the serpent would be able to live as long as you were looking at it. John, um, uh, G- 
as he's recording a, a, a conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus, interprets six text to help us see and understand that in the same way the serpent had to be lifted up by those who were bit by the serpent, they could live, so that we who are now under the curse of the serpent in the same way need for Christ to be lifted up and we need to have our, our minds and hearts focused on Jesus and when he's lifted up and we look at him, spiritually, we live. John says it this way. He's having... Uh, Jesus says it this way. He's having this conversation with Nicodemus. When you get to verse 9, Nicodemus said, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you don't understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. This is a conversation between Jesus and a Pharisee who doesn't quite understand who Jesus is. And then it says, If, <clears throat> if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if, if I tell you heavenly things? No one... This is still Jesus. No one has ascended into heaven except the one who is descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now he's talking about the fact that he would be lifted up on the cross. And that if we look to Christ on the cross in in a spiritual sense, that he is our only hope, then we'll live. But if we don't, we'll die. So Numbers 21 was written so that we can understand that when Christ is lifted up in the same way the fiery serpent, that's the only way that we can have life. And it says, so whoever believes in him may have eternal life. That's John 3, 15. So in the same way, that's my goal today. I want to lift up Jesus, hold up Christ as the only way that you'll live and lift him up and hold him up in such a way that when you look at him, that you see your desperate need to stay transfixed on him and want to deeply desire to commune with him every day for the rest of your life so you can truly live. That's what I'm going to try to do today. Um, So I'm going to do it by um, suggesting three absolute, ordinary means of being able to commune with Jesus. These are not any big hidden secret. And I'm hoping that um, maybe you'll think of them in a different way. So, three intentional means to pursue communion with Jesus. And I'm hoping that as we look at these, you'll renew your heart and mind to want to do these things. So, um, it's a good thing, I think, to talk about at the beginning of, of the new year. So, let's pray, and then we'll, we'll start. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We know that uh, as we're going into a brand new year with all kinds of new things going on that uh, in a lot of ways we can, we can recommit our hearts and recommit our minds and recommit our thoughts to you, Jesus. And so we pray this morning that that would happen. I pray for all of us that as we look at all the volume of verses that have to do with being able to commune with Jesus and the importance of it, that you would take your word and that you would change our hearts and minds by the power of the Spirit through the Spirit. That we would want to commune with Jesus, that we would see the absolute need for our hearts to be transfixed by Christ, to want to see him, know him, look upon him so that we can live. I pray that if anybody, including myself, uh, has parts of our hearts in life that we don't want to give over to you, that this morning we would determine that, that we wouldn't be satisfied with letting you have three-fourths of our life, but we wouldn't be satisfied with letting you have nine-tenths of our life but that you would get all of it. You would get all of it. That you would be our Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is how I want you to think of Jesus. Psalm 42, 1 and 2 says, As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. So as... On a hot day when the deer is dying of thirst and wanting to find something and he's desperate for drink, our souls should be um, thirsting for God, the living God. Psalm 63, 1 says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. Not haphazardly, not half-heartedly. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. This is how I want you to think about Jesus and your need for Jesus for the entire of 2017. I want to know right now, does, does this presently describe the way that you think about the person of Jesus in your life? Does this presently describe? 
And I want you to um, think deeply with me and say, yes, I want it to for 2017. Because Jesus says this to you in John 7, uh, verse 37. Jesus holds out this promise to all of us. He says this. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. So, whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So Christ is inviting you to an amazing fountain that never ends. He's inviting you to himself. And so, I want us to, uh, I want us to have serious, sober thoughts about Jesus and having him ever-present in our life. I want our hearts to be big, and I want us, our, our minds to be big as we think on this. Piper says, in a way, this way. He says, little hearts, or, or little hearts that think of Jesus uh, very infrequently, little hearts give little lusts in your, in your mind and heart big power. Big hearts give little lusts no power. Our hearts grow by seeing and savoring Jesus Christ. So our hearts can grow by seeing and savoring the Bible. But the Bible itself is not the end. Jesus is the end. And so that's why uh, as we're looking in the new year and, and usually we say, all right, we're going to do a sermon on mating, talking about how you can read the word. I want to talk about the, the end of what we're trying to strive for. Um, John, Jonathan Edwards, it, it, it's not a real New Year's unless you talk about some of his resolutions. So uh, I, I'm going to sprinkle in some Jonathan Edwards resolutions. And that's just what I'm going to do every January. Anyway, um, resolved to improve every opportunity when I am in the best and happiest frame of mind to cast and venture my soul on the Lord Jesus Christ. And every opportunity he has, he wants to trust and venture his soul on the Lord Jesus Christ. To trust him, confide in him, consecrate myself wholly to him. That from this I may have assurance of my safety, knowing that I confide in my Redeemer. Another one. Resolved. Very much to exercise myself in this and all my life long. Namely, with the greatest openness I am capable of. To declare my ways to God. To lay open my soul to Him. All my sins. All my temptations. All my difficulties. All my sorrows. Fears. Hopes. Desires. And everything and every circumstance. Another one. I love this one. That I will live so as I shall wish I had done when I come to die. So at the very end, when you're looking back and you think, I wish I would have lived this way. At the very beginning, he says... Resolved that I will live so as I wish I had done when I come to die. So the aim of this sermon is not some self-helpy thing that you just, at the end, you, you accomplish all the things like, I wish I would have gone to the Niagara Falls and the Grand Canyon and, you know, whatever the things called with the faces. Like, that's not what we're saying. Um, but I, I know it's in South Dakota. So anyway, like, the... Uh, the point is that the aim of the sermon is not just to make you a happy person. I wish I would have been more happy and done all the things at the end of my life. Instead, that I wish that when I come to the end of my life, I would have, which is what believers should want, focused all my hearts and minds and affections on Jesus. And at the end of our life, when you look back, you said, I did what I wanted. I accomplished what I wanted. Christ was held up in my own heart, not just in our church, but in my own heart. And I looked to him so that I could truly live. So that I could truly live. So... There's three means, and these aren't the three exhaustive means. I know you can find more in the Bible. Jordan would be like, what about worship, Fud? I know, right? Worship's one, but I don't have that one, and it's okay. These are three that I think that are God-ordained means, uh, clearly in the scriptures, that we can do. So three means to commune with Jesus. Not exhaustive. There's way more you can do, you know, way more. Um, number one, devote yourself to corporate and private constant prayer. So let me just go ahead and say, um, these three things, by the way, that I've chosen, these are three things from pastoral ministry that I've been, that I've never heard someone say, you know, I've done that too much. I, I feel like I'm really good at that. I, I do that way too much. These, are the th- these three things I've picked um, are, are, I've never heard someone say, you know, I, I really, I pray too much. I, I would say, I'm always in prayer. Like, I don't hear that very often. So these three things are going to be things that we're all going to agree that we should do that are um, things that we should say. Now, uh, I'm going to be uh, 
throughout this since we've been going through the book of Acts, referring to some things in Acts because I think it's helpful since we're going through that book. Anyway, I want you to notice some of the ways that the Bible describes prayer from Acts. It says this. When it says that they were in prayer, uh, it uses not, not a kind of like a, they were hoping to be in prayer or they, they thought prayer was a good idea. This is what it says, Acts 1.14. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. So there's a, there's a word here that it's using, devoting, proskartero, proskartero. They were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women of Mary and mother of Jesus and his brothers. Acts 2.42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. So it uses this, this mindset of when we're talking about prayer, we're going to devote ourselves to prayer. Acts 6.4, but we will devote ourselves to prayer in the ministry of the word. 1 Corinthians 7.5 do not deprive one another, but except perhaps of agreement for a limited time, but that you may devote yourselves to prayer and then come again together. So the Bible uses this kind of language, pro- devoting ourselves, proskatero. It means to, to persevere in, to continue steadfast in, to labor in, or to make sure you're constant in. So um, it, it's an... It's signifying to us that this isn't just a haphazard, passive thing, that if you're just floating by in Christian life, you're going to naturally just always get it done anyway. Instead, it's telling us, when it says devote, that it's signifying that this is a work. And if it feels tough, it is tough, because it's, it's something you have to devote your mind and heart to. The reason why we say, and I know most in the room would say this, man, I just don't feel like I pray enough, is because it gets too tough, and we don't want to do it because we don't like tough things. We like easy things. So we need to devote ourselves. It is a work. So this is intentional. L- let me show you another way of even how it's used. This is in the same book, in, in the book of Acts. So when Luke says to devote yourselves to prayer, um, he also uses that exact same word in Acts chapter 10. Um, when the angel, uh, this, y'all remember that Peter at Cornelius, we had the four-week study on racial reconciliation um, when we're looking through Acts chapter 10, uh, when the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants. To, this is talking about um, whenever he had to call people and listen to what he said. He, he, called the, uh, he called the two servants and a devout soldier among those who attended to him. Same word. And they having related everything to them, and he sent them to Joppa. So when he says attended to them, he calling the servants. This means they continued. They attended to him. They were steadfast. They persevered in the doing of their job. Proskatero, I'm going to make sure I pronounce it right. Um, Proskatero. So attend to, to persevere and to con- steadfast. And the Bible talks about prayer in this, in this way. Meaning, really, and at the ultimate reality of all things, they have a choice, but in the end they don't have a choice. They have to do it in order to be able to live. They have to do it because that's who they are. They were servants, they have to attend to him. Also, we are Christians, we have to be devoting ourselves to prayer. We have to. We have a choice in the end, but in the end we don't if we really truly want to live, if we really truly want to um, commune with Jesus. Now, have you thought of prayer this way? Have you thought of prayer in this particular way to say, prayer is not just like the thing I feel bad about never doing, but instead it's the thing that I have to be devoted to. Now, I want you to notice on number one, I didn't just say private. I also, hopefully, Holy Spirit, not me, is convicting us all about the corporate sense of prayer because the Bible clearly depicts both of us. Um, I want us in 2017 to devote ourselves not just to private prayer, but to corporate prayer. We need to do that. That's why we see when we say devoting ourselves, um, and these are all verses you may know, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. That doesn't mean you can't have conversations with other people. Like when they come up, you just give them the palm. I'm praying. I've got to pray without ceasing. Like I never can stop. It doesn't mean that. It means like as you go, that would be weird, right? As you go throughout the day, it would be pretty helpful actually around the house. Anyway, uh, um, <laughs> my wife wouldn't stand for it. So anyway, like as you're going through the day, everything that happens to you in life should be thinking in your mind, I need to pray about that. 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 Everything, big or small. It doesn't matter. As you're going, you need to be praying. We have to pray always. Ephesians 6.18 says, Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayers and all supplication. It's as, all, it's as big and as wide as a compass you can be saying, all kinds of prayers that you can come up and think of, 
all those should be done. God wants you to do them all the time. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for the saints. So it's as it's, it's all-encompassing as it can possibly be when it comes to talking about prayer, that we have to persevere in it. Edwards, in his resolutions on speaking about prayer, says, Resolve never to count that a prayer, nor to let that pass as a prayer, nor that as a petition of prayer, which is so made that I cannot hope that God will answer it, nor that as a confession which I cannot hope that God will accept it. Every prayer I pray, I'm going to believe in my heart God's going to answer. Every confession that I make of sin, I'm going to hope that God will accept it. Resolved. When I find those groanings which cannot be uttered, like from Romans 8.26, of which the apostle speaks of, and those breakings of the soul that he longeth, um, that he hath, of which the psalmist speaks in Psalm 119.20, that I will promote them to the utmost of my power when I pray, that I will not be weary, and I will earnestly endeavor to vent all my desires um, with, with earnestness. So like, even when he's praying and things come to his mind that he doesn't even fully understand, but he knows the Lord is speaking to him as he's praying, that he will commit himself to say these things and pray these things whatever time that it takes. It doesn't matter to him. So after each one of these, I'm going to, I have this little section because I think it's helpful. Okay, Fudd, how do I do that? How do I do that? How do I do that? Um, I think that this is how you do it. I think this is how I do it, and I think this is how you do it. We all, and we, I know we can, can find time to pray every day. We really can. No one, no one has too much going on that they can't do this. I promise you. No one has too much going on that they can't do this. The, the truth is, we have to make it a priority over everything else. We have to make it a, definitely over our social media and entertainment. Definitely over that. Definitely over that. This just came to my mind. Piper said something like this uh, on one of his tweets like five years ago. He said something like, at the end of everything, when it's all said and done, one, one thing that social media, social media will reveal is that we had far more time uh, that we had far more time than we thought to be able to pray. It's the truth. So, how you do it is priority. There's an old story about Martin Luther. He says it this way: Someone came to Luther and said, "I have way too much to do every single day in order to be able to pray. There's no way that I can pray as much as you think I should because I've got way too much to do in every single day." Luther famously quoted back to him. I have so much to do today that I'm going to need to spend at least three hours in prayer in order to be able to get all that done. That's that's a complete mindset shift, the way we think about getting stuff done and pray. There's no way that I can do everything I need to do unless I spend three hours in prayer first or else I won't get it done. That that bumps up against our American mindset of I I can just, I can get it done, right? So we must learn to see that prayer is the most powerful, efficient use of your time. Prayer, along with something else, I'm gonna, the other two things I'm going to say, are, are the most powerful, efficient use of our time. If you want a close relationship with Jesus, which if you're a believer in Christ, I believe you do, you can have it, but this comes through cultivating the relationship through conversation. It comes through prayer. So the first thing is, devote yourselves to corporate and private, constant prayer. If you need to, like, just one word, if you're holding a baby, and you're like, I just need to write one word so I can remember each thing, the, bold, the, the all cap thing in each one is the, uh, the way to remember. So just think prayer, and you know the rest. First thing is prayer. Second thing, and this may not be something that you would have thought of, but it is biblical. The second thing. Third intentional means to pursue communion with Jesus is this. Give yourself to deep thinking. Give yourself to deep thinking. We are, uh, we are struggling. Every generation that goes by, struggling with becoming deep thinkers. I mean, high schoolers in the 1800s knew more words and were deeper thinkers than most of our 20 and 30 year olds. That's just the way it is, right? And it's because of the fast food microwave mentality that we're in. We, we allow ourselves to not think deeply 
because we can't even sit down and read a book. Like, there's a lot. I remember in youth group, whenever I was a youth minister, not whenever I was a youth, but when I was a youth minister, I would talk about reading and reading books. And there were several high schoolers, and I'll put myself in this category when I was in high school, that never read a book before. It wasn't until college that they had literally read a book from page one to page, you know, end, 100, 200, whatever it was. They'd never done that before. And I just remember thinking, wow, that's crazy. That's crazy. So I want to be clear with what I mean here. When I'm talking about thinking, I'm talking not just about thinking and random whatever, thinking deep on grass or thinking deep on botany. I'm talking about Jesus, Christian meditation, Christian meditation. Packer, J.I. Packer, says it this way. Christian people suffer grievously from their ignorance of the practice of Christian meditation. Christian meditation is the activity of calling to mind and thinking over and dwelling on and applying oneself the various things that one knows about the works and the ways and the purposes and the promises of God. So taking time to think about all the works of God. I want to think about all the works of God and everything that He's done and just let my mind think about that and how it applies to everything in life. And then I want to think about all the ways of God, why He does things, how He does things. Think about all the purposes of God. What is He trying to accomplish ultimately? All the promises of God. What are all the things in His Word that He's promised to me? And how does that apply to me right now every day? We, ha- we have to think about these things. They just, you're not going to get them if you just get them from me or Jack or Joe on Sundays. You're missing out if you let your pastor elders do the deep thinking for you and we just talk to you every Sunday and you let that be the way that you think deeply. Piper, uh, I'm sorry, Packer keeps going. We need to uh, think about these various things, about the works, the ways, the purposes, and promises of God. It is an activity of holy thought, consciously performed in the presence of God, under the eye of God, by the help of God, as a means of communion with God. Intentional means to pursue with Jesus is, is literally thinking. You've got to do some stuff to think, though. You've got to turn off some stuff. Some stuff's got to be away from you, in the drawer, or... Off to be able to do it. Its purpose is to clear one's mental and spiritual vision of God and to let his truth make its full and proper impact on one's mind and heart. So the reason why we do that, the purpose, is to clear one's mind and mental and spiritual vision of God so that the truth of God will have its full and proper impact on your heart and mind. So... The way that we let the scriptures and prayer and the deep things about God, the promises, the purposes of God, have its fullest impact is to think longer on them, to think more deeply on them. And here's the thing. That takes time. This does not happen in five minutes. It does not likely happen, oh, I know what I'll do. All my thinking time will be on the drive to work and the drive home from work. That's when I'll do my deep thinking. That's probably not enough time. It's probably not enough time. And our fast-paced, kind of 140-character, high-speed, 3G, 4T, there's probably going to be a 7T by the time we get to 2020. Um, Go, go, go world. Christian meditation is not go faster. It's slow down. It's slow down and take time and think about all the ways, the works, the purposes, and promises of God. It's drinking in deep all these things so that when you exhale Uh, of living your life, it's on purpose for Jesus, for Christ. It doesn't happen automatically. It takes time. It takes a long time. I can remember whenever I was 15 years old, um, my dad thought I needed to learn how to drive a stick shift and back a trailer. And so he took our, our pickup truck with a trailer on it out to this huge parking lot and said, we're not leaving until you can drive the stick shift and you can back the trailer from this part of the parking lot to the other. I was 15. I barely even knew how to drive, right? And I got to do, the clutch was so heavy and I, I weighed, I don't know, probably 90 pounds soaking wet. It's like, ah, push the clutch in. Like, dad, I can't reach the stick shift. I need to put it in reverse. Like it was, it was, we're not leaving. It took forever, right? It took a lot of blood, sweat and tears. Like, dad, I want to do this more too bad. Like, all right, in a weird, similar way. Um, I know, that's weird. But in a similar way, uh, it takes a long time to think. 
It takes blood, sweat, and tears. It takes uh, turning off stuff, neglecting stuff, not doing everything that everybody's doing, not catching every single uh, show that everybody else watches, but taking some time to think and stop and meditate so we can ask better questions, we can know Jesus better, we can think about what he's done. So I don't just uh, make this up. Uh, Packer is not inspired, so let me make sure that, that you understand that the Lord tells us to do this. Psalm seventy-seven, twelve. I will ponder all your works and meditate on your mighty deeds. I will ponder all your works and meditate on your mighty deeds. Psalm 64, 9. Tell what God has brought about and ponder what he has done. Psalm 1, 2-4. I will ponder the way that's blameless. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. I want you to notice here. Thinking deeply causes you to live righteously. I will ponder the way that's blameless. I will think on Christ. I will think on righteousness. I will think on God. I'll think of what his ways, works, promises, his purposes. And when I do that, I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. I will not set, my, set before my eyes anything that's worthless. I will hate those who work uh, to try to help me fall away. I shall not cling to them. A perverse heart shall, not, shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil when I ponder the Lord. Psalm 143, 5 through 6. I will remember the days of old. I will meditate on all that you've done. I will ponder the works of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you, my soul. Th- so here's another one. If, if pondering and thinking deeply causes you to live righteously, pondering and thinking also causes you to worship rightly. I, was, I will remember the days of old. I will know what you've done. I will meditate on all that you've done. I will ponder the works of your hands. And when I do that, I will stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched lamb. I will worship correctly. I will worship rightly when I think deeply on you. Proverbs 4.26. Ponder the path of your feet. Then all your ways will be sure. Think about how you can live for the Lord. The, Psalms, or the Proverbs are uh, general General truth for everybody in a general way. If you, most people, if they do this, then this will happen in their life. If you ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. So I want you to notice that this isn't just kind of passive soaking, which, again, that's, there's a place for that, but it's also active thinking, active engaging, asking, pondering, working, digging deeper, um, being obedient to long thoughts on Christ. How do I do that, Fud? All right. These are some of the ways that you can do that. First, you, you've got to become a reader. You've just got to. You're not going to be able to do this if you don't read. The more you read, this is just in life. Okay, this has nothing to do necessarily with Christianity per se. This is, this is general revelation from the Lord. The more you read, the smarter you get. That's just the way it is. I promise you. If you read, you get smarter. So, if we want to ponder the ways of the Lord, you read the Bible more. Which we're coming to that, so don't mark that down as like, I need to read the Bible. That's, I gave away number three already. But, but also, um, read what's commonly called as the old dead guys. Those guys, the old theologians. Baxter. You, read Baxter. Packer's almost dead. We can put him in there, right? Edwards. Um, Stott. These guys... These, these powerhouses of the faith that the Lord has sovereignly put before us, we should read them. Calvin and Luther. Like, we need to read these guys. And then they'll help you learn to think deeply. That's one way you can do it. Become a reader. New Year's resolution, I'm going to read, fill in the blank, number of books by the end of this year. Buy them on Amazon and start doing it. Like, how many, do, how many can I, if it's 12, you got to do one a month. If it's 24, you got to do two a month. You can do this. That's how you can do it. Number, way, number two way you can do this is, this is, this is huge. Talk with others about deep things. Discuss deep things with people. So I am usually pretty socially awkward. If you've had any kind of long conversation with me, that, that, that is really... Uh, 
easy to see pretty quick. I'm an, and I'm an introvert, so it's, it makes it even harder. And the reason why is because I find small talk very difficult. I don't know what to say. After I've asked you where you're from, and I have, if I know anything about that city, I basically run out of questions and I have no idea what to say. It's the truth. If you've had any long kind of small talk conversation with me, it gets to that point where it's just like, God, he's so awkward right now. That I am. I am so awkward. Because I don't know how to do uh, small talk. I just don't know how to do it. But what I don't find difficult, and this is not like toot my own horn, what I don't find difficult is talking about deep things or important things. If we're going to talk about something deep, I get engaged and I can talk and I can, we can talk about that for a long time. Because it's not awkward. It's not weird. Like those are the most important things in the world and I want to talk about those things. Probably it's because of my vocation. It's what I have to do. So if you want to be a thinker, talk about deep things with people. I'm not saying you can't talk about fantasy football with people. I can talk about football too sometimes. But like in the ultimate reality of things, that doesn't really matter, right? It, it doesn't. Like who got more points this year? It wasn't Cam, right? It was Aaron Rodgers or whatever. Like that's not the – talk about deep things with people. If you're good at small talk, afterwards I want you to tell me how to get good at it. <laughs> but, but, but in reality, talk about deep things with people. Read Talk about deep things, and you know, you know what I'm going to say because I've hinted at it the entire time. Do less, I couldn't think of another word, I'll, I'll have to explain, banal things. Do less banal things. And that just means the predictable, dull, boring, trite, unoriginal things. Do less of those things. Do less, don't let the banality of entertainment uh, take your mind away from you from thinking deep. Do less banal things. Do less things that are dull, boring, trite, and unoriginal and predictable. Think deep. Think deep. That's the first two. Prayer, thinking. The next one, I already gave it away, but let's, let's look at it. Third intentional means of pursuing communion with Jesus is this. Depend. So I've phrased it as intentionally as I can. It's not, read the Bible. It's depend on the word every day to see Jesus and live. So we're not reading the Bible just to have read the Bible to know the history. I want you to know the history. It's good to know the history. But the point of reading the Bible is to see Jesus. That's what he tells us. I had this later down in my notes, but I'll go ahead and read it just so we can see. Jesus, looking at the Pharisees who memorized the Old Testament, tells them, you search the scriptures because you think in them they have eternal life. You think it's all about the Bible. It's not all about the Bible. The Bible is all about me. He said, and it is they that bear witness about me. So we read the scriptures in order to see, as Piper says it, see and savor Jesus Christ. We read the Bible because we want our heart, mind, deep affections to be in love with Jesus. Um, John Piper was actually given some advice on this. This is what he said. I have a burden that we get beyond propositions and Bible verses to Christ. I do not mean get around Bible verses, but through the Bible verses to get to the person of Jesus, the living person to know him, cherish him, treasure him, enjoy him, trust him, and be at home with him. I want to count him more to be desired than all other things. More to be desired than wife, husband, children, success and career, leisure, vacations, health, food, sex, money. He's more precious. Bible reading is meant to deepen our personal relationship with Christ. So Bible reading is not the end in and of itself. Instead, knowing Jesus and seeing him as the most precious reality is the point of Bible reading. So number three is depend on the word every day to see Jesus so that you'll live. So I put this third for a few reasons. It's so that you wouldn't get it confused with number two, because I want us to be deep thinkers, but also because I want to close with a, with a challenge at the end. If we, if we truly believe from 2 Timothy 3.16 that all the scriptures are literally theonoustos, breathed out by God, then we must be deeply burdened to read the scriptures so that we can hear from God. And understand who Christ is. To see Jesus. Edwards, on his resolutions on the scripture, says, Resolve to study the scriptures so steadily, so constantly, and so frequently, as that I may find and plainly perceive myself to grow in the knowledge of Christ.
Even the scriptures tell us this about themselves. Jeremiah 15, 16, your words were found and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. Psalm 19, 3, how sweet are your words to my taste. How sweet are your words to my taste. The Lord gives us hunger pains to understand how much we want food. In the same way there should be Bible hunger pains to show us that we desire to want to Eat the word of God in order to see and savor Jesus. So why do we need to be in the word daily? There's a lot of reasons we can say. But I want to give you a few. Um, if you want to understand, it's going to be, this is a long piece of homework. If you want to understand why you should love the Lord's word, read Psalm 119. Read Psalm 119. It's... 150, I think it's 150 verses, of telling you why you should read and understand and love the Bible. I'm going to pick some select ones from there. Psalm 119.11. I've stored up in your word, your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. This is, I think this is the, the, the verse that Jordan based his song off of. Um, Psalm 119.12. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. Psalm 119.9, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Psalm 119.76, this is how the, the word comforts us. Let your steadfast love comfort me according to your promise to your servant. Psalm 119.133, keep steady my steps according to your promise and let no iniquity get dominion over me. So the word does many things. It keeps us from sinning. It shows us how to live a pure life. It comforts us among tons of other things that it can do. There's great reason to desire to be in the Word. Not, not just for holiness, but also to know and trust Jesus more. As, it, as I've read from John 5, the Scriptures, you think that in them you have eternal life. In other words, you think that as long as you follow the laws that you're saved, the Scriptures testify about me. That's how Jesus helps us understand it. Psalm 119, 18, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law or out of your word. And the wondrous things, the supreme primary wondrous thing that we behold is the person of Jesus. It's the person of Jesus. I have this long article that I want to read that Piper wrote, but I'm not going to. I'll just post it. But basically the premise of it is, I mean, this is John Piper. God spoke to me today. This is his blog. And you're like, what? Cannons closed, John Piper? Well, come on. God didn't speak to you. He spoke in his word. If you want to hear from God, you read the word. You know what I mean? Like, and he goes into this long thing about how God spoke to him. He woke him up early and he said, come see what I've done. And so you're like, what? Piper's, is he a heretic? And you're like reading, does he understand the Bible? And then he goes into it. And at the very end, he said, God spoke to me because I read his word and said, here's what I've done. And so he amplifies and kind of gets you drawn in thinking that he's talking about some kind of experiential, mystical subjective way to experience God. And he's like, through the word, through the word. I'll, I'll post it because he's going to say it a billion times better than me. Um, but God has ordained that the means of you hearing from him, if you want the Lord to speak to you, the God of all creation to speak to you every single day, you read the Bible. I, I want... I want my children to speak to me. I want my wife to speak to me every day. Like my heart breaks if that doesn't happen. If I have to go out of town, like all I want to do is get back to where I can FaceTime them, right? So I can talk to them. And what'd you do today? That's great. No fighting? Awesome. Like whenever you're, whenever you're away from someone, there's this longing to want to speak to them. And it's the same thing with the word. And the cool thing is that God every day is speaking to us through his word. The God of all creation speaks to us. How do I do that, Fud? <laughs> Glad you asked. So here's, some, here's one thing that we designed a few years back. On the table, if, if you don't have a Bible reading plan, this is, I mean, it's all set here for you. you it's empty. It's just empty, right? You, you open up to January, reading one, and it tells you what to read that day. You write down your insights. You write down your questions. You write down what, the, what it does. And then the next day, you read it. The whole year is set for you. If you do this, you'll read the Bible in a whole year. Or, this is really simple, go to the Google, 
and say, Bible reading plans, enter. And you'll get like a gazillion, right? And you can read the Bible in a month. You can read the Bible in a year. You can read the Bible in five years or whatever. I, I don't think that it really ultimately matters if you are able to read the Bible in a month or a year or five years. You can read the Bible in a year easily. You really can. Um, but that's how you do it. I mean, it's really simple. How do I do this? You, you see it as the absolute highest priority. I need, to, I need to speak. I need to hear God speak to me today so that I can have my mind pushed towards Christ and know who he is. So my challenge is that as we go into this new year, you've set resolutions and hopefully you haven't broken them yet, right? If you've broken them already, that's bad. That's just, I mean, it's like 12 hours old. Um, I want you to uh, pray that the Lord would help you pursue these things this year. That you would be uh, constant in prayer. That you would think deeply and make time so that you can. And that you would deeply desire every day to let the Lord speak to you through his word. So that your mind and heart and affections can be um, pushed on towards Jesus. Why would you do this? Why would you do this? Why would carving out... What I'm asking for is a massive carving out of time. I'm aware of that. Why would you hear what I say and say, okay, to this massive, like, change in your schedule? Why would you do that? The book of Acts. Chapter 2, verse 2. Sermon at Pentecost by Peter. This is why you would do all of this. Men of Israel... Hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men, God raised him up, loosing, and here's why, loosing the pangs of death, Because it was not possible for him to be held by it. The pangs of death or the penalty of death or all that we deserved because we're sinners when it comes to eternal condemnation were loosened or taken away because the definite plan and foreknowledge of God from all eternity past was that he would put forward his son to bear the full weight of all the condemnation that we deserve. So that we don't have to. Instead, we get eternal life. This Jesus willingly gave his life so that you could know him. Not so that primarily you would just be saved from your sin. That's definitely an outworking. But primarily so that you would know him. So why would you have this huge, um, abrupt change in your schedule? Because Jesus was willing to go to the cross and receive all the punishment of God the Father for you. And it's not you show him how much you love him by, you know, giving him your time. That's not what I'm saying. Instead, why would we not want to give the savior of our soul all of our heart, mind, soul and affections? Why would we not? course we want to so it's not so you should do this or feel guilty no that's not what i'm saying instead why would we not want to give him our entire life for what he's done we're going to go into a time of uh, communing with jesus at the table where we think on this message that we just looked at the gospel and tangibly hold the bread and tangibly Hold the cup, the reminder of his body broken, the reminder of his blood shed, and preach the gospel to ourselves. And let the good news wash over us so that we can go out this year and live a life that upholds Christ primarily in our hearts, souls, and minds. Um, If you are a believer in Jesus, this time's for you. If you're a, a follower of Christ, this time's for you. If you're not a follower of Christ, if you're not a Christian, then I would just ask that you observe. 
Just take this time to observe as we take the Lord's Supper and you'll have the gospel proclaimed to you. Not just uh, auditory as I did, but also um, in a tangible way where you can see. Uh, I would just remind you for those that as you come up, uh, there's two choices. Pick wine or juice. You can look at the sign and bring that back to your, back to your chair and then uh, I'll lead us all corporately together to take the supper together. Let's pray together. Jesus, you're so kind to us, and we thank you for your amazing mercy. We thank you that you love us so much that you're willing to come forward and be crucified so that the pangs of death would be loosened, that you would absorb all the condemnation for us. And so as we turn into a new year, we're, we're all painfully, perhaps painfully aware that our walk with you, our everyday walk with you, isn't what we want it to be that we could be more constant in prayer, that we could be more uh, deeper in thought, that we should read your scriptures more. And at the end of it all, the biggest reason why is we just, we don't prioritize it. We don't make time. And we don't make time because our affections for you, uh, they waver. And so I pray for us all at the heart of it. It's not that we would become deep thinkers and prayers and readers. But at the heart of it, I pray that you would stir our affections for Jesus. That you would stir our affections for your son who gave his life. And God, with deep affections, I believe any means of communion with Jesus will take care of itself. And so would you be so gracious to continually fan the flame of our hearts to love Christ, to serve Christ, to see him as the most precious reality above anything else, to be so thankful, filled with gratitude for him giving his own life for us that all we want to do is know you. We pray this in Jesus' name.